0: Thank you, Dean. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter five, against such things there is no law. There's no law against joy. There's no law against gentleness. There's no law against patience. It is the fruit of the Spirit, the life in the kingdom, the life of a transformed person. But the fruit has a root. The fruit of the Spirit grow from the desires of the Spirit. And Scripture presents the Spirit as a river. There is a stream that makes glad the people of God. The Spirit is in our midst. On the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, let her come to me and drink. As the Scripture has said, out of the Messiah's heart will flow rivers of living water. Isaiah the prophet could see it. Waters will gush forth in the wilderness. Do you see the dynamic? He will be like a tree. She will be like a tree that sends out its roots by the stream. And she does not fear when heat comes, but her leaves are always green. She prospers. He never ceases to bear fruit. And tonight, we're going to continue to focus on the holy spiritual fruit revealed in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of faithfulness. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Matthew 25, you know, one of the challenges of preaching through this series. I don't know if the other pastors have felt it, but I certainly have. Where do you go? It's everywhere. Which passage do you pick? God says lots of things about faithfulness, but one thing He says is revealed in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So that's where we'll focus this evening. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And he is especially interested in helping them understand what it means to be watchful. And we pick up the conversation and his teaching in verse 14. Jesus says, For it, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Faithful God, we pray that You would open the eyes of our hearts and Give us the desires of the Spirit that produce the fruit of the Spirit. Would you teach us what it looks like to bear the fruit of faithfulness? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, just by way of orientation, verse 14, it will be like... Just a few verses before, chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus sets the theme, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so, He's developing that theme still more. And the New Testament teaches us that the kingdom comes in stages, three stages, in fact, There is the inauguration of the kingdom when Jesus comes the first time on earth to establish His rule. Secondly, there is the continuation of the kingdom as Jesus rules from heaven at this present time. And finally, there is the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns to earth for the second time. And our passage maps with these categories. It unfolds according to these three stages. It begins with the day of entrusting. It continues through the day of responding. And it concludes and gives the most attention to the day of accounting. Let's consider how the passage unfolds. First of all, the day of entrusting. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to him his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. The passage, Jesus himself, describes the king himself as a rich man. Before time began, God the Father and God the Son pledged their faithfulness to one another and what the Bible describes as the covenant of redemption. God the Father purposed to save a people for himself by sending His Son into the world. God the Son purposed to fulfill the Father's plan by coming into the world to represent His chosen people. If the Father would live the life that we should have lived, and if the Son had died the death that our sins deserve, then the Father would not only raise the Son from the dead, but also those for whom the Son bled and died. And not only that, the Father would grant the Son a kingdom such that He shall reign forever and ever. The gospel is this. The Son has kept His promise to the Father, and the Father has kept his promise to the Son. On Friday, Jesus died for our sins, and on Sunday, God raised him from the dead. One small step for Jesus, Resurrection Day is one giant leap for all of you who through faith are united to the risen one. This risen Lord Jesus is the rich man And he calls his servants and he entrusts to them his property. Later in Matthew's gospel, we hear how Jesus describes the distribution, his commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He has an agenda, a purpose. He's entrusting the kingdom, to His servants, to advance the kingdom. To one, He gave five talents. To another, He gave two talents. To another, one talent. To each according to His ability, and then He went away. Verse 15. Talents, obviously, figures prominently in the text. Originally, in Jesus' day, at first it represented a unit of weight, whether gold or silver or copper, and later it came to represent a unit of coinage, a sum of money, about a 20 years amount of an average worker's wages. But Jesus is speaking metaphorically. And sometimes because of the word talent, we often mistakenly understand talent as gifts and abilities. But notice how Jesus does not equate the two. More properly understood, talents, as revealed in the text, represent our calling given by the master and received by the servant. Opportunities and responsibilities given by the king to us, his people, to advance the kingdom. How does he give opportunities and responsibilities? Sovereignly. Did you notice? Jesus determines who gets what. Variously, all receive, but not all the same. Appropriately, notice verse 15 each according to his ability. The opportunities, the responsibilities take into view the capacity. And finally, graciously, it's a gift, it's not a wage. And so it's a very noble calling that Jesus gives. That's a window into the day of entrusting. All authority has been given to me and now I'm entrusting you to advance the kingdom. And I'm giving you specific opportunities and specific responsibilities. That leads us to, secondly, the day of responding, this present age. Two kinds of responses, one positive, the other negative. But let's flip the order because I remember when I, when I picked out my, my wife's wedding ring, the jeweler placed the cloth on the table and then set the diamond. And have you noticed that the diamond sparkles much more as over against the background of the black cloth. When we see the negative response, we'll see more positively the faithful response. So let's look at them in reverse order. First of all, the response of faithlessness. The third servant, notice his action. He refuses to fulfill his calling, his assignment, as pictured in digging the hole and hiding the money. This is how he relates in his world. But whenever you see something going on horizontally, something that you can observe, a person as they relate to the people around them and the circumstances in their midst, whenever you see... Something horizontally, it's always revealing something going on vertically. My heart, your heart, His heart is always doing something with God. It is never passive, it is always active, it is God-relational. So notice the root beneath the bad fruit, the motive, the God-relational reason. He does what He does. Jesus taught, out of the heart the mouth speaks, and the third servant's words reveal what rules his heart. First of all, the lies he believes. Did you notice verse 24 and 25? Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Did you notice the darkened heart, the lies believed? He's accusing his master of being harsh, unrelenting, merciless, stern, exacting more than is right, like Pharaoh telling us to make bricks but giving us no straw. You can almost hear his heart, if you could climb inside and listen, his heart saying, if I had lost my talent, you would have still demanded it. You're so hard. Not only is he accusing his master, but he's also excusing himself. I was afraid. And it's your fault, not mine. You forced me to dig the hole you should be thankful that I returned what is yours. Lies believed. But also, did you notice, the lust he pursues. I think we're on good grounds to see within the text, implicitly, this self-exalting pride. The Apostle Paul uses a very provocative phrase in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Their God is their stomach. In other words, they live for what they crave. They are mastered by the lusts of the flesh and the primal lust of my flesh and no doubt yours is pride, self-exalting pride. He covets a higher place, more talents, He despises the lowly place. Only one talent. One commentator helpfully described building the kingdom as being compared to building a house. Different responsibilities given according to different abilities. And so the one assigned the carpentry work is gifted with the saw and the hammer. The one entrusted with the electrical work is assigned the work according to his ability. The plumbing work assigned to another who is especially gifted with plumbing. The bricklayer assigned the work that is especially fitting his gifts and abilities. The cabinet making, assigned to the person especially skilled at building the cabinetry. The concrete mixing assigned to those who know how to put the formula together and deliver it to the site. But some assignments are one-talent assignments, like pushing the wheelbarrow. It's very needed but it's refused. It's not that this servant could not. It's because this servant would not. He craved a greater assignment. And it's a warning to us all. It's a devilish, throne-seeking pride that is always crouching at the door, and it must be mastered. The Apostle John writes in his third letter, he names names, deatrophies. He likes to put himself first. He does not acknowledge our authority. A faithless servant. That's the first response, faithlessness. But there's the second response, the first and second servant, the response of faithfulness. Their action, they each labor diligently. Each of these servants improve, as it were. They expand the kingdom. They double their impact. Notice the first. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. The second. Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. It's very vivid, the language that is used. Look. You can just imagine the eyes sparkling, the mouth smiling, like the child inviting, open my gift and start counting. Why? What's the motive? What's the root that grows the fruit of faithfulness? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Notice how the servant's words reveal the heart. The truth that they believe. It's as though if you could climb into their heart, you'd hear the language of, He is mine and I am His. He gave His all, so I will give my all. There's this love that rules the heart. The Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. The love of Christ controls me. I am mastered by the love of Christ. I have come to this conclusion that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised on their behalf. Do you hear the covenantal divide? They no longer live for themselves, but for him. And these faithful servants are motored by, mastered by, a love for their master. And this, even as the previous servant, ought to be a warning to us all. These two servants ought to be an encouragement to us all. Humble, Christ-like faithfulness is the root and the fruit of the Spirit, and it must be nourished. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 84, verse 10. I would rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Even if you just give me a small responsibility, I'll take it. Because my heart beats for my master, and I'll do whatever he calls me to do. I remember... dreading the sense that God was calling me into ministry many years ago. I thought I I thought it would not be a joy at all. And and I I did not want to go the Spirit dismantled the lies that I was believing and kindled and opened the eyes and helped me to see who Jesus is, what Jesus says, what Jesus does. And the love of Christ began to control me. And I came to that same conclusion that the Apostle Paul records in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I would rather do anything. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever you call me to do, and you don't have to show me in advance what it is. I'll do it. And the rest has been joyful history. You know, I want to uh, just say a word. I wrote about this in the pastor's post I had a great time at the Caring for One Another conference. That was such an encouragement to me personally. But the most encouraging thing, and I wrote about it on Friday, was walking in the door and seeing the people of God using their opportunity and their responsibility within their capacity and ability to build up the body of Christ. It was the most beautiful sight to see the body at work. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is what our lives in Christ are all about. So, I hope you will consider sticking around tonight and see if it fits. Might this be an opportunity, a responsibility that fits with your capacity to serve, to to extend the kingdom by helping others learn English as their second language, you know, I'm going to be turning 60 in a couple of weeks, and I think about that song, "All for a thousand tongues to sing." And I don't know, none of us do, how much time the Lord will give me. But I sure hope He gives me many more years. All for a thousand tongues to sing. all for more years to serve what a master can I will you let me we've considered the day of entrusting and Jesus departs and we've considered the day of responding that's our present day that's what this week is all about. Break it down. It's hard to think at 30,000 feet. Let's think on Main Street. This week, what is my life about? What is your life about? It is about responding faithfully. But we'll close with the day of accounting because it's coming. That's in the future. Notice how the text speaks of how the Master rewards the faithful servants and the Faithless servants. First of all, the faithful servants to the first and the second. Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master, verse 21 and 23. So, He gives praise for their faithfulness. He increases their responsibility, and He invites them into holy spiritual joy in contrast the reward to the faithless servant you wicked and slothful servant you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i scattered no seed it's a question then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and my coming at my coming i should have received what was my own with interest So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The template follows the same, but it's turned on its head the exact opposite not praise, but condemnation for unfaithfulness. Notice how Jesus does so by using the servant's own words to prove his guilt. And notice how he condemns him as worthless. You see, it's not only our sins of commission that are grievous, but it's also our sins of omission of being given the opportunity and the responsibility in keeping with our capacity and our ability, but not doing the work. So, Jesus removes the responsibility and He banishes the servant from His Master's joy. And there's a very important lesson here. Theologians distinguish between what is called the visible church and the invisible church. Picture with me two concentric circles. The inner circle we might call the invisible church. And within the inner circle, the invisible church are those who are the true elect of God, who are truly born of the Holy Spirit. But the outer circle visible church and within the outer church there are both the elect and the non-elect consists of those who profess faith who bear the sign and partake of the sign of the covenant and this passage intends to remind us that in the visible church the present kingdom it includes both the faithful and the unfaithful servants in the visible church in the visible kingdom Jesus is describing what it's like. But the day is coming when the true and false servants, the wheat and the tares, will be revealed and separated. But today, you and I can have this wonderful assurance that we belong to the age to come, the eternal kingdom, Because the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. I love how the Apostle Paul describes it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I worked harder than all of those apostles, and yet it was not me. It was the grace of God working in me. He explains his faithfulness. This is not something that we work up. When's the last time you walked by a fruit tree and heard it trying really hard? It's the fruit of the Spirit that grows from the desires of the Spirit. Grace works in you to change what you want. It is the most amazing thing. What is so new about the new covenant? This. The Spirit changes what you want and what you live for. And out of that new desire grows the fruit of the Spirit like faithfulness. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why, Paul? Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure, to produce in you the faithfulness of the Spirit. It is the most radical transformation. It is the most wonderful thing. I'll close with this. Maybe you've wondered, what does it mean to be watchful while I'm waiting for the Lord's return? What am I supposed to do before, between His first coming and His second coming? The text is teaching me, the text is teaching you. God is speaking His truth in love, saying, watching does not mean waiting passively for the kingdom, but to be actively working for the advance of the kingdom, to use You're God-given opportunities and responsibilities to improve, to advance God's glory and His rule. We are stewards of God's grace, servants called to faithfulness, and He gives it. The faithful one makes you like Him. Let's ask Him for this grace into your hands we commit our spirit faithful God we are humbled we are thankful that you would deliver us from unfaithfulness to faithfulness through Jesus. Oh God, would you help us even this week? Would you help us move into our world, move into our home to build your kingdom? One faithful word and act at a time. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with me as we conclude our worship. We've made a a little bit of a change here. We'll sing instead, All the Way My Savior Leads. Let's stand and sing together. Pastor's Post, I ask you to pray Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21 and 22, actually 20 and 21 for me. Thank you for doing that. It's my pleasure to pronounce that same prayer and benediction upon you as we close our worship. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, May He equip you with everything good to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. Amen.